Good morning. Um, Today's sermon text is Psalm 46. Please join me um, in a brief moment of reflection and prayer between each stanza. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, through its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It is a privilege to be with you both this morning and then in the ensuing weeks and months as we anticipate what God will have for this community. Uh, Let me go ahead and pray for us as we turn to Psalm 46 and reflect uh, on this word of God together. Father, we do thank you so much for your word that it's life-giving, and we ask now that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand, and wills to obey. For Christ's sake we pray, amen. How do you respond to trouble? What do you do when storms rise in your life? Where do you go? What do you turn to when life spins out of control? I don't know your situation this morning. I wouldn't even pretend to know your situation this morning. But I do know that storms are a reality of life, and that many of you are facing storms right now. And if you're not facing a storm right now, I know that you either have in the past faced storms or you will in the future face storms. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. Rich or poor, Christian or non-Christian, storms are a reality of life. All of us face storms. And the Christian faith is one that says that we can address and we can endure and we can face these storms through a particular perspective. And the Christian faith talks about the reality of storms deeply and truly and honestly and gives us perspective and hope in it. it doesn't ta- paint a shallow picture of the difficulty of life. Now, some of us are here this morning and we're eager of where life has us. Maybe we've just had a baby. We've got hopes and dreams for that new baby. Maybe we've just gotten a new job and we have hopes and dreams about that new job or a new relationship. Life is going well and storms seem really far off in the distance. 
And others of us are experiencing the opposite. We're experiencing difficulty, trial, even tragedy. We prayed for a family and several families that have lost their children this past week. And we're not sure what to do in the midst of these storms. We're not sure where to turn. We're not sure exactly how to endure these. And to both groups, I want to say that Christianity offers us confidence in facing life's storms. And Psalm 46 in particular gives us a beautiful picture of how to understand life's storms and how to face them in faith and hope and love. We read three stanzas, and we'll look at these three stanzas together. First, looking at the reality of trouble, at the hope in trouble, and our response to trouble. The reality of trouble, the hope in trouble, and our response to trouble. And this psalm beautifully paints us a picture of the reality of trouble. And it paints this picture in three ways. Natural trouble societal trouble, and personal trouble. As to natural trouble, the psalmist begins to look out into the world of nature, and he sees everything crumbling around him. He says that the earth is giving way, that the mountains are falling into the heart of the sea, that the sea is raging and foaming and roaring, and that the sea is destroying the dry land. Creation is falling apart. And what the psalmist describes for us here is a process of decreation. And if you turn to the very beginning of the Bible, you notice that the Spirit of God, this God who is the creator of all things, was hovering over the face of the waters. And the face of the waters in the very early part of the Bible is described as dark and chaotic and stormy. But God came in to provide dry land, to calm the waters, to calm the seas, to provide a place where he and people could dwell together. God came in and controlled these dark, chaotic seas. But now the psalmist looks out, and it seems as though the world is returning to this first place where the seas are roaring and foaming, where the seas are dark and stormy and chaotic, and where life on land is being ravaged. One calamity after another. The sea is taking back control. And the psalmist says everything is falling apart. Everything is being undone by the power of the sea. Daniel mentioned that our family lived in Peru for a number of years. And when we went to language school in Peru, we went to the city of Arequipa, and the city of Arequipa is set just a little bit back from the coast, a few hours from the coast drive. Uh, but it's this mountain city that has three mountains that scientists and archaeologists say were once one big mountain and used to be the largest mountain in the world, standing over 40,000 feet high. One day there was a major, major earthquake, and those mountains began to fall into the heart of the sea. And Arequipa is now a city that is built upon the ruins of that earthquake. And so the psalmist is saying that's what's happening in his life. The mountains that are supposed to be immovable are being shaken, and the sea is taken over. 
And when trouble in nature strikes, whether through a volcano, an earthquake, a hurricane, or some other storm, we're reminded of how small we are, how vulnerable we are, how weak we are. So what do we do when storms rise? What do we do when there's natural disasters? That's the first thing that the psalm, psalmist points our attention to. The psalmist then moves from trouble in nature to trouble in society. He describes the brokenness of cities and civilizations and governments and nations, these things that man have built that are supposed to be stabilizing factors in the world. And he says that these societies are doing the exact same thing that the sea is doing. These societies are roaring. These societies are foaming. These societies are disrupting and destroying. And he looks at the nations around him and says, their intent is to destroy the people of God, to devour us, just like the sea is devouring the mountains. Psalm 46 is known as what is called a Psalm of Zion. And the Psalms of Zion are the songs that the people of God would sing to remind themselves that God is the one who is over all things, over nature, and over kings and kingdoms. They were psalms that were reminding them of how great God is and how God was in the midst of them despite difficulty and trial and storms in life. But now a place like Jerusalem, the city of peace, is being ravaged by war and by bloodshed. It's a place where the nations are raging against her. And Israel experienced this in lots of ways. For example, later on in their history, Israel was ravaged by a sister nation, the Babylonians, where they came in and they decimated Jerusalem, the city of peace, destroying everything in Jerusalem, including her palace and her temple. And when the Israelites were leaving Jerusalem after being ravaged by the Babylonians, they said, sing us one of those songs of Zion to taunt them, to mock them, to show them what had happened to their city. Sing us one of those songs that you guys use to remind yourself of God's power, of God's might. And where is your God now after we've come in and ravaged you? And so the psalmist in a place like Psalm 137 says, By the waters of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. We hung up our lyres, our guitars, our, our flutes, our harps. For there our captors required of us songs. And our tormentors mirth saying, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song?" in a foreign land, in a time like this. Israel wasn't immune to suffering, wasn't immune to storms. When they looked at what the nations had done or were doing to them, they were mocked by the words of these psalms. So what did they do? Where did they go? Where did they run? How did they understand trouble, societal trouble? The last trouble that the psalmist introduces us to is personal trouble. 
And this is a little bit more implicit, but this is important for us to understand. And in this psalm, we see two examples of personal trouble. The first is from the psalmist himself, where it says that this is a psalm of the sons of Korah. And just to remind you, if you don't know about Korah, Korah was a contemporary of Moses and a contemporary of of Aaron. And he helped to lead the people of God in the worship of God. But then Korah helped to lead a mutiny against Moses and against Aaron and said to the people of God essentially this, look, listen, some of you want to follow Moses and Aaron and that's fine. We're not sure what they're doing. We think that they've brought us out into the wilderness just to kill us. Others of you trust us. So why don't you follow me? Why don't you line up with me? Let's see which side God is on, and let's see what happens. So Korah and his followers were on one side, and Moses and his followers were on another. And you can turn to Numbers chapter 16 and learn about what happened to Korah. And what happened there was that the ground under Korah's feet began to split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up Korah before the people of God. And now his sons are writing a song about the earth opening up, about the earth giving way, about the mountains quaking, about the earth trembling, just like it did for his father. And so this family was not a family immune to pain, immune to suffering, immune to hardship, immune to storms. But even in remembering the storms that their father endured, they pen a psalm about the goodness of God. The psalm also mentions Jacob explicitly by name. And Jacob in his life is someone who also was not immune to suffering. Jacob wrestled with God. Jacob and his family endured many, many hardships, many, many trials. And this psalm beautifully says that Jacob is one who belongs to God. Even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of brokenness, even in the midst of great tumult around him. So the psalm paints this beautiful, beautiful picture. As we look out into the world and think about natural disasters, think about societal disasters, think about personal disasters, and gives us hope to where we can turn. And that's what we want to look at next. Where is our hope? Where do we flee when we face storms, when we face trials, when we face difficulty? Psalm 46 paints a beautiful picture of what we're called to do as humans. This psalm reminds us that God is bigger than all these things. God is over nature. God is over kings and kingdoms, and God is over our own lives. God is with us. He is in the midst of us, and God himself cannot be moved. And friends, that's our hope. That's our confidence. That's our rest when we face storms in life. God is our fortress and our strength. And so the psalmist contrasts God with all the things that he 
sees happening around him. He says that God is mightier and greater than this raging sea. And God is the one who provides for us life-giving things in the midst of the storm. So notice that there's another piece of water that's described. There's a river that's described. A river of God that doesn't destroy, that doesn't roar and foam and rage, but a river that brings peace, a river that brings life, a river that brings rest, a river that preserves and protects the people of God. And it's by participating in the waters of this river, in the life of this river, that joy and gladness and hope are brought to the world. And this river and this psalm represents God himself, his presence, his life, his goodness, his love amongst us. Friends, the only way that you can endure troubles and storms that life may bring The only way that you will endure troubles and storms that life will bring is if you know this water. As the Bible unfolds, as the story unfolds, we learn that God himself is in the midst of us by becoming the living water, by sending his son as the living water, by giving us Christ the living water, the only one who can calm and still and quench our thirsty souls. The psalmist next contrasts the power of the raging nations with the command of God. So not only is there all this water raging and there's this peaceful river, but the nations are raging and God says that he's above and greater than these raging nations. He's the true captain. He's the true commander. He's the true king of the world. He is mightier than the kings and nations of the world. He is in control. But notice how he comes to bring control. It's not in the way of the nations, through chariots and spears and war and bloodshed and violence. Rather, he exerts his power and his control and his authority by breaking bows, by shattering spears, by burning chariots. He decimates these weapons of wars. And he changes warriors into farmers and transforms spears into shovels. And we see this most beautifully and most perfectly in the person and work of Christ. Because when Christ comes, he doesn't fight power with power, fire with fire. Rather, he exerts his power by submitting himself to the powers, by going to the cross by dying in our place. And it's through the cross that the powers are defeated, that their weapons of war are made peaceful. It's only the presence of God in the world that will bring bring true peace to it. Not through war, not through bloodshed, not through violence, but by destroying those things in and through Jesus. And friends, one of the fascinating realities about Christianity is that wherever it has spread in the world, it has brought peace and order and rest and life 
and love to these societies. It hasn't done it perfectly. There's been lots of mistakes, lots of things that the church has done wrong, lots of ways that Christians have messed up throughout the world. But one thing that is true, wherever Christianity has spread, it has defeated the powers. It has defeated systems and structures in those places that are built upon violence and bloodshed. And it has brought peace to these places. Again, not perfectly, but has participated in breaking bows, in shattering spears, in burning chariots. And so we see that God is greater than these raging and warring nations. And he's greater than the raging and warring sea. And then third, we see in this psalm that God's presence is also contrasted with Jacob and his life. Because remember who Jacob is. Remember who Jacob was. Jacob was one who left his family. Jacob was one who schemed against his family. Jacob was one who deceived his family. These were all true of Jacob and all true of his family for generations and generations. But God is not like Jacob. He's a fortress. He's a strength. He's a refuge. So God is much mightier, far more powerful, far more present than any of these things. God cannot be moved. He can't be moved by the sea. He can't be moved by the nations. He can't be moved by someone like Jacob. Trouble in this world is insignificant. Trouble in this world is impotent compared to God. The mountains, they may be moved. Nations, they may be moved. People like Jacob may be moved, but God cannot be moved. And friends, that's where we come to understand our response to trouble. How do we face trouble in our life? Whether it's financial trouble, or relational trouble, or physical trouble, how do we respond to it? Well, we learn that when we come to have a relationship with this God, that he gives himself to us, that he is with us and that he is for us and that he's in the midst of us. And with his presence, we can face any trouble that life may bring. And we see this most beautifully and most perfectly through the person and work of Christ. That his son conquered the raging sea His son conquered the warring nations through his life and his death and his resurrection. The cross of Christ is proof that God is mightier than nature. It's proof that God is mightier than the nations. It's proof that God is mightier than any individual. So rest in that. Take comfort in that. Respond to that in faith. And this psalm gives us two ways in which we are to respond. The first is found in verse 8, and the second is in verse 10. Verse 8 simply says, Behold, behold, behold the works of the Lord. The meaning of behold is to look deeply, to gaze knowingly, to stare profoundly at something. And so in the midst of trouble, what we often do is we turn our gaze to trouble. And we behold trouble. And we stare at trouble. 
And this psalm says, don't do that. Rather, behold God. Behold his person. Behold his work. Behold his character. Behold his attributes. Look at God. Behold him. He's bigger than any trouble. About 10 years ago, our family had the privilege of traveling to Uganda, East Africa. My parents lived there, and we went on a a visit to see some of the beautiful nature in Uganda. And Uganda is uh, the start of the Nile River, and there's a place in Uganda where the Nile is about 200 yards wide, and then it goes down to about 20 yards in a very brief period of time. And it's formed uh, Murchison Falls, and so these are raging falls. These are beautiful falls. These are huge falls, and you can imagine the amount of water that is going through the river at that point, going from 200 yards to 20 yards. And as we were waking our way down to Murchison Falls, I slipped on a wet rock, and I fell, and apparently I had scraped my arm pretty bad, and I was bleeding uh, pretty, pretty badly off of my arm. But I didn't notice my scrape. I didn't notice my bruise. I didn't notice the blood at all because I was overwhelmed by the water. I was beholding the waterfall and not my arm. And friends, that's just a little picture of what we're to do when we're faced with trouble in life. Don't be so overwhelmed by the scrapes and the bruises and the bleeding that you may have. Rather, behold the works of the Lord. Behold your God. Focus on him. He is so much greater. And the second command is found in verse 10. And it says, be still. Be still. Behold and be still. And to be still doesn't mean that you're passive in life. Rather, to be still means that you rest in God. You rest in the reality that God is on his throne. That God is the king. That you're not in charge. That you're not in control. That you don't have to live this frantic and frenetic life trying to put everything together. You can't do that. Be still. Rest. Knowing that God cannot be moved off of his throne. Nothing. Nothing can move God off of his throne. Jacob can't move God off of his throne. Jacob wrestled with God And Jacob failed. No nation can move God off of his throne. The Egyptians couldn't do it. The Babylonians couldn't do it. The Romans couldn't do it. No nation can move God off of his throne. And no natural disaster can move God off of his throne. No earthquake. No hurricane. Nothing can move God off of his throne. So be still. Rest in that. He is the Lord. Behold your God. Be still before God. And when you do these two things, you realize that God is with you. And not only is he with you, he is for you. He alone is this immovable rock who's able to shelter you. So what do you do when trouble comes your way? Behold, Be still. Run to God. Rest in his deep, deep love for you through Jesus. It's a beautiful thing to be in a Christian. 
And that means that not only do we learn how to interpret troubles and have perspective on trouble for ourselves, but it also means that we begin to engage our world in a way. Because we've got friends, we've got neighbors, we've got family members, we've got co-workers. They're facing trouble. They're facing hardship. They're facing difficulty. And they maybe don't know how to face these things well. And as the people of God, we're called to be the embodiment of this life-giving water, of this rest, of this peace, of this hope, of this stillness, of this courage in the midst of a difficult world. And so because you belong to Jesus, because you know him to be your mighty protector, because you're able to behold and be still in the midst of life's troubles, as someone who belongs to his kingdom, you're called to embody this life in his world, to be life-giving, to, to live for the sake of the world, to show to others what it means to belong to this God. And in fact, a place like John chapter 7 says that as the living water encounters you, it doesn't just nourish you, but it flows through you so that you might nourish others. It teaches us the spirit of Christ flows from Christ through his people to others, to the world, so that we might be the people of God in the world, bringing his rest and his love and his peace and his care and his presence to the world. So if you're a Christian here this morning, you're called to have a proper perspective on your own trouble, but you're also called to have a proper perspective in caring for others in their trouble to be to others in small but real ways what God is for you. Because friends, God is a very present help in the midst of trouble. So run to him when storms rise in your life and help others to run to him as you hear about the storms of other people as well. It's only in God's presence that the raging storms of life are calm. So run to him. He is with you. He is for you. He is near you. In fact, he sent his son to endure the greatest trouble so that you might behold him, so that you might be still in him. And more than that, he's given you his Holy Spirit so that you might rest in him and so that you might be a conduit to help others rest in him as well. Let me pray for us. Father, we acknowledge that there is trouble in life. There are natural troubles, there are societal troubles, there are personal troubles. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know what this afternoon will bring. But we do know that you are in the midst of us, and that you are with us, and that you are for us, and that you are mightier than any and all troubles of this life. So Lord, help us to behold you. Help us to be still before you. Help us to embody your life-giving love to others as the living water of Jesus runs through us. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.